0: Today on The Balanced Word, we'll hear what Jesus has to say to a compromising church. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand, and the instrument I play. Wake up my voice, let the world hear me say. You are worshiped and it's all to today. We count it a real blessing from the Lord to share this time together with you we call the program, The Balanced Word. And our teacher is Pastor Dave Rolf. Last time we completed Dave's look at the Lord's letter to Smyrna in Revelation chapter two. It was a letter full of encouragement and praise. Today we begin the study of the letter to Pergamum and we see a very different tone from the Lord. Pergamum had fallen into the hands of false teaching. They were compromising. The Lord's response, repent. Here's Pastor Dave.
1: Good to see you today again. and. It's always awesome to get together, to look at God's word, to worship him, see what he has for us today. We are currently going through, to me, one of the most important series that we could ever do. It's two of the most important chapters, no doubt, in the entire Bible, Revelation chapters two and three. The reason they're so important, you have to put it in perspective, we follow Jesus. Well, Jesus lived and then this is his last word to us after he had gone up into heaven. Now, th- at the time he wrote Revelation 2 and 3, he gave these messages uh, you know, to John to send to churches. The church had really started 60 years or so before this. And then for the, for the next 30 years or so, churches were being planted and the New Testament was being written and most of the New Testament had now been written... About 30 years ago. And so here we are with an update. Here we are with Jesus saying, let's have a checkup. You've been doing church for 60 some years. You've had most of the teachings of the New Testament for 30 or so years. So how are we doing? Are you becoming what I envisioned? Are you becoming what I commissioned you actually to do? Now, Revelation 2 and 3 are the last words that Jesus speaks to the church until after it's all wrapped up in the end. So therefore, this checkup is super important for us because we've been doing church a lot longer than these seven churches had. But also, when we call ourselves church, what we are saying is Jesus is the head of the church. That's what scripture teaches. So if he is the head of the church, and we are the church, it seems like it would make sense for us to listen to what he has to say about how we're doing. And that's why for me, these two chapters are just so important. They're really gold to us as his church. So at first we looked at the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is that great city that's down in the southern end of Turkey, right where the Mediterranean Sea meets the Aegean Sea. A big religious center, and he addressed that church, and he had some good things to say. He goes, man, you guys have your doctrine down solid, but he said, there's one thing that you're losing, and if you lose it, it will kill you as a church, and that is love. He told the Christians in Ephesus, if you have great theology and no love, I'm going to snuff you out. You'll be done. Pretty serious. Then he came to Smyrna, which is 50 to 60 miles north of Ephesus, on the coast, beautiful coastal city, really one of the leading commercial centers of this era in the first century. And it was they had a harbor and rivers coming into it, and it was really a, a great place. But what Jesus had to say to that church is, "I know you guys are starting to suffer, and you're going to suffer even more." And you better just be ready for it. He said nothing bad about what they were doing because the suffering church is—it has a way of purifying you. It gets, keeps out the dead wood. And so he had that message, you know, there in what today is called Izmir, still a major city in Turkey. Now, so the next city that we come to is Pergamos. It's another 50 miles or so north. And a little bit inland in Turkey. And again, you can look at your Apple maps and you can see where these churches are. Pergamos is today called Bergama, but you can find it on your map. But it's it's a city that's inland. So it's a little bit more, culture is a little bit different in Pergamos. And he's saying, so I have a message for the leaders, the messengers to this church in Pergamos. Now, Pergamos was a fascinating place because since they're not on the coast, they can't do commercially what Ephesus and Smyrna could do. They're inland. But Pergamos was actually more of a resort community anyway because although they weren't on the coast, they were up on top of a a little mountain range And as a result, they very easily built fortifications around it. It was a safe place. The weather was much more mild than it was in other places when you're down at sea level. So Pergamos was a place. It also had natural hot springs, so people that really needed a break would go there. In fact, and there were a lot of temples, as there were in all of these places, but, you know, in in Pergamos, you know, uh, Caesar Augustus would come there and they had a temple for him because Caesar had a drinking problem and so once a year his wife would ship him off to Pergamos to dry out and so it was a good place to get your health back so man the weather's getting bad I'm getting hung over time to go there and people from all over the world at that time would come there for a break it's kind of like people that live here, but they also have a place out by Palm Springs, like, or or people who live in New York, but they have a place in Florida. Well, that's Pergamos, so it did really well because people liked to come there. One of the things that was there besides their natural hot springs and all of the other, the beauty that existed there, they were also where really the idea of having a hospital actually started. In, In Pergamos, There was a place where, because of the influence of the hot springs, then they began to develop massages and things like that there. You could really go there and get full treatment. But they had a temple to, um, you know, a a Greek god, Asclepios, who was the god of medicine. And his temple became a huge hospital. And it was like the most luxurious hospital in the world everyone would go there for healing. Asclepios, by the way, he, he, according to Greek mythology, he was delivered by Caesarean section. His mom was dying, somebody cut him open, took him out, he survived, and as a result, he became a surgeon. And so he was able to operate on people, he also knew how to use hallucinogenics and other things to make people better. Eventually, Zeus killed Asclepios, because he raised a couple people from the dead and Zeus goes, no, nah, we can't have that. And so he ended up dying, but they built a temple. By the way, Asclepius, if you see the ancient pictures of him and there's remains of his temple there, he was a, seen as a guy with a walking stick that had a serpent wrapped around it. He used snakes a lot in his treatment. Now, I know you thought that in our medical, Field today that when they have a serpent on the stick, that that was from Moses and, you know, putting up the serpent in the wilderness. But actually it's way more likely to come from Asclepios, this Greek. And I'm not like, oh, you don't freak out about it. It's just a snake. But that was, people would come there. Their hospital slash temple was pretty interesting when you read about it. And you can still, there are places that you can go there. One of the things that they did after giving you a massage and sitting in the hot baths and things like that. You would go down in these tunnels and they dug out holes above the tunnels. And as you were going through the tunnel, there would be people with sexy voices saying, you're so beautiful. Sorry, I don't do sexy voice very well. little <laughs> You are a valuable person. You are so important. People love you. You're special. And you're going through that and you're like, wow. I do feel better. And then they would go down into, they had a theater there, and they would put on like a cheesy play, like it was like, it was an ancient Hallmark channel, where you go and you're like, oh, this story makes me feel better. And then their final thing that they would do is, and the reason he had a serpent on his stick, he would use snakes sometimes in his treatment, but you would go lay in this dark room, and all these snakes would be crawling around. It was kind of an ancient version of shock treatment, really. It's like, whoa, it might help you, it might make a difference. And so these snakes would crawl all over you, and of course, sick people are coming there, and having a snake crawl on you might kill you, just from fear, they weren't poisonous snakes. But a lot of this other stuff could get to you. So the temple had a back door, kind of like hospitals today, where if somebody dies in the hospital, they don't bring them out front. They ship them downstairs and take them away at night. So they had a back door where they'd haul all the dead bodies out. And if you just stood there and watched this hospital, it'd be like, "Wow, this place is great. They're so successful." So that's Pergamos. Now the name Pergamos means parchment. Probably why we don't know if they made parchment there, but um, there's no record of that. But Pergamos had the biggest library at that time in the ancient world. Um, because if people come there for a vacation, you wanna read, right? Just like we used to always, when we would go on cruises, it's been quite a while since we went on a cruise, but they always have a library. Cause you know, you can only sit on a boat so long before you get bored. And so I would always bring a bunch of Pastor Chuck's books and stuff like that and stick them in there that people could read them. But in Pergamos, they had a 200,000 volume library. Can you imagine in the first century collecting 200,000 books? It was pretty impressive. But again, this is a luxury community where people come to heal. And hey, nothing like reading a good book to do that. Now that library, it ended up Mark Antony ended up taking it, and he needed a, he, he forgot to buy a present for his girlfriend Cleopatra, so he gave her this 200,000 volume library. She took it off to Alexandria in Egypt, and you probably learned in your history classes that the biggest library in the world was in Alexandria in Egypt. Well, all those books are still overdue in Pergamos because <laughs> that's where it came from. So here's, that's the scene. Here's, Pergamos. Now, let's see what Jesus says to this church that's in such, an, such a fascinating area. To the angel of the church, verse 12 of Revelation chapter 2. To the angel or the messenger of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Sharp two-edged sword. Now, in each of these letters, Jesus chose one of the descriptions of him that you see in chapter 1. And in this case, he chooses this. Now, if somebody's coming in with a sharp two-edged sword, that means he's going to make a difference. Something's going to get cut. There's going to be a clear division that's made. A guy in our church who's an incredible stonemason just made me this incredible two-edged sword. It's like I was going to carry it up here, but it's too heavy. But but it's like that's what he's saying. Okay, you ready for this? I'm coming, and I'm going to draw a line down the middle. Be prepared. So he said, that's, that's who I am. I know your works in verse 13. Now, again, as we've said before, he always says, I know your works. The word's ergon. It doesn't mean I know how many good works you're doing. It just means I know what you're doing, period. It's what you do for a living. This is how you live. I see it. I know it. And he said, and I know where you live. You might go, uh-oh. But what he's saying is, Pergamos is an interesting and challenging environment because he says where Satan's throne is. Now, some people thought this was a reference to in one of the temples there, uh, there was a temple of Zeus where there's this huge throne that's supposedly where Zeus rules. But as far as he's concerned, it's Satan's throne. He isn't, Jesus doesn't say, you know what? I'm the king of Pergamos. No, he goes, actually, Satan's the king of Pergamos. You better understand that or life is going to disappoint you incredibly. I get where you live, and I know what it's like, and I don't have high expectations for the area in which you live. It's challenging. It's difficult. You hold fast to my name, and you didn't even deny my faith in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. He said, some of you have already paid the price. This guy Antipas, which we know nothing else about other than this reference, was one guy who was martyred. Now, the Greek word for witness is the the word martyr, martyros in Greek. So originally, martyr just meant a witness. But as Christians, as Christianity developed, martyr became a person who was actually martyred. So you didn't witness without ultimately getting treated horribly and killed. So, But he's saying, some of you guys have hung in there even through that. But one martyr from this church, and he names them, and they're like, oh, yeah, those were the days. But, verse 14, I do have a few things against you. Whenever Jesus has a few things against you, you better listen, because there are always things that will challenge your very existence. Of a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also, connected to that, are those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. He's going back to the story back in the book of Numbers, where Balaam was a prophet of God. And a Moabite king, Balak, tried to bribe him and said, look, I'll pay you good money if you can get God to curse Israel. And he tried, but it just wouldn't come out. But ultimately, in the end, you find out in Numbers 31 that Balaam went to Balak and said, I can't curse them. But he goes, look, let me tell you, all you need to do is... You need to send the hot Moabite chicks down there and those guys are going to sucker for it and you win. It's everybody's together. You're going to be absorbed by the culture will embrace you when they see your attractive women. And as a result, the children of Israel, it says, were drawn into all kinds of idolatry because Balaam very cleverly told them, all you need to do, they'll compromise once you give them the opportunity. And so he's saying there are people there in Pergamos that are leading people into this kind of compromise. And then in using also the Nicolaitans, we talked about them a little bit before, the Nicolaitans, there are some people who looked, back, looked at this word and said, it's, you break it down etymologically, Nike, like Nike, means victory and and laity is the people or laos is the people. And so as a result, this is a church hierarchy and structure that says the leaders rule over the people. And there are references in church history to some things like that. But the earliest references say that the Nicolaitans came from a guy named Nicholas of Antioch. And I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. Back in Acts chapter 6, when the church was just forming, and they said, we need some deacons who can kind of help run things and keep things going, and they listed seven guys who were filled with the Spirit and had a heart to serve the Lord and everything. The first one listed was Stephen, and then there were six other guys The last one listed was Nicholas of Antioch, who was a proselyte who had then become, proselyted to Judaism and then had become a Christian. So the church history tells us as early as late first century, early second century, that this Nicholas had compromised the faith, partly as a result to, if you're like on the list of demons, and first you're all excited, woo, yeah, I made the top seven and then number one gets stoned to death, you're like, maybe we better make some plans to make this a little less offensive. Stephen got up there, and some people even look at Stephen's message and go, you could tell he was a deacon and not an elder because he was really, he could be pretty blunt. He got, he got killed for it. So Nicholas started thinking, how can we make our faith a little bit more friendly? And he figured out right away that people don't object to spiritual stuff. They don't want you actually to say that someone literally rose from the dead. So he began to apparently, and the Nicolaitans promoted this in a huge way, the idea that it's all about a spiritual Jesus. It's not so much a, the real guy's really God. It's, it's that he had divine essence. And then some of them believed that Jesus wasn't even actually a person at all. He was just a spiritual presence. It led later, by the, by the second century, the Nicolaitans had developed into you know, a, a vast perspective on you know that here we look at all of life as being, it's really just the essence that matters. And, and the physical, not such a big deal. Now obviously that makes you a lot more popular. If you can just do whatever you want with your life, but as long as you have this spiritual essence that you're okay, who wants to make somebody like that a martyr? You're like, oh, cool. We can get along with him. As long as he's saying, hey, you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and everything is fine. And so it led by the second century into what was called Gnosticism, the primary you know, theological error in church history for the most part. Well, it started from Nicholas because of his pragmatism. So Jesus is saying I saw what happened. Balaam tried to make things better by compromising and going, "Look, you can just you can be connected culturally, it's fine." And then Nicholas, the same thing. Going, "No reason to make yourself a target." Just realize that all faiths can kind of get along and work together, and we have ours and they have theirs, and nobody gets hurt and nobody gets offended. Jesus seemed very concerned about this because in verse 16 he says, Repent. Again, that word means you better change the way you're thinking metanoia, meta meaning with. Or developing change and noia meaning the mind. It's the idea that if you keep thinking the way that you're thinking with this compromise, it's going to destroy you. Start thinking fresh or else I will come to you quickly with my two-edged sword and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. He said, I'm the guy who's coming to you with a sword. And now he says, if you keep this compromise up, I'm going to come and I'm bringing a sword with me. I'm going to make a difference.
0: Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with our pastor and Bible teacher, Dave Rolfe. We're developing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave. These programs are available by podcast at TheBalancedWord.com. You can also call us and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or go to TheBalancedWord.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can also watch them on Instagram or Facebook by following CC Pacific Hills. We'd love for you to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 945, and 1130. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. And you can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Can we pray for you? Just contact us through thebalancedword.com and leave a prayer request. Or again, call 949-362-7475. As we return to Pastor Davey says, just like in Pergamum, the world has crept into the present day church in many ways.
1: I can certainly read this and say, boy, I see what the problem was there. And I wish I could pretend that it's not a problem that the church has today, but I can't pretend that because the truth is, and really the message that Jesus has for this church is, You are to stand out as being distinct and different from the world in which you live. Now, at the same time, he was also letting them know, if you are faithfully who you're supposed to be, it's going to cost you. You are going to possibly be martyred. And with that being the case, are you prepared for that? Do you understand that the only power that you have as Christians is that you offer a different worldview than the world is offering? And the great danger that you have is cultural appropriation where the church becomes so much like the world that you can barely tell the difference? Yeah, it it works well if you're just looking at, well, look at how many people like this. We are always tempted to say, how can we make the church more relevant? And why do we say that? Because the truth is, the more relevant our church becomes, the more people it will attract. And that's certainly true. But is that what Jesus wants from them?
0: We'll come back to the Lord's letter to Pergamus next time on The Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Rolfe. This program is listener supported and brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day, wake up my hands and